This is an ABC podcast. One autumn day in 2006, two retired Russian spies arrived at Gatwick Airport in London. They were flying from Moscow with a mission to kill. Their target was Alexander Litvinenko, a former colleague and a Russian defector who was working for British intelligence. But your usual classic clean and simple assassination, this was not. Enter our assassins. Andre and Dmitri, two ex-Russian spies who dress exactly like you would expect two Russian thugs to dress. They looked like gangsters. They had kind of leather jackets and, and flash shirts and lots of jewellery and, and, and sort of faux expensive watches. And right from the beginning, they screwed up and kept on screwing up. To kill Litvinenko, a Russian nuclear power plant had given them a vial of polonium, the very definition of overkill. The Guardian's Luke Harding says a single gram is enough to kill 50 million people. It makes uh, hydrochloric acid seem like milkshake. The vial holding the nuclear superweapon was leaky too, so the assassins splashed a radioactive trail wherever they went. It ended up on their plane seats, all over their hotel rooms, on tablecloths, toilet doors, taxis, everywhere. When they finally met Litvinenko and actually got some of the polonium into his tea, he didn't drink it. A witness who encountered them in a lift shortly after assassination attempt number one, and they were talking in Russian, and she said to them, as an icebreaker, as you do when the lift is going very slowly, are you guys from the KGB? (laughs) And they 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 were like this. And they, they couldn't figure out whether this was polite conversation or a, a kind of brazen British counterintelligence agent. Afterwards, in a panic, they poured their polonium down the sink. There's massive contamination in their hotel bathrooms. And wiped it up with hotel towels. It's probably the most radioactive towel in history. In between assassination attempts, they went out on the town. To an erotic nightclub and tried to pick up women, but were unsuccessful. Finally... On their third attempt, after a long trail of radiation had been left behind them, they got Litvinenko to drink the poison. And he takes three or four sips, and that's enough. But after that point, there's nothing, nothing which can save him. He died a painful death three weeks later. But the poison got the spies too. They'd been so careless with their radioactive weapon, they had to spend time in a Moscow hospital. But the thing is, they aren't even the worst Russian spies in recent history. Incompetence, overconfidence and blunders are common. And sometimes those stuff-ups have global consequences. I'm Matt Bevan, and this is Russia If You're Listening, a podcast about Vladimir Putin's campaign to undermine and destroy the Western world. Russia used to be known the world over for their highly skilled spies. But recently, they've started making all sorts of mistakes. But one bungled assassination in particular led self-confessed Russophiles like this guy... Mere Londoner, Boris Johnson, previous for you of us. I'm Boris Johnson, the Mayor of London. ...to finally stop treating Russia like a piggy bank and more like a dangerous adversary. Our quarrel is with Putin's Kremlin. That's today on Russia if you're listening.
We begin tonight with a story about Alexander Litvinenko, the Russian spy who died from poisoning in London on November 23rd. You'd think after the long, grisly, painful, horrible death of Alexander Litvinenko, the British government would get a bit mad at Russia. But that didn't happen. Even in that absolutely spectacular case with radioactivity spread all across the British capital, the British government was willing to downplay it for a decade. This is Mark Schultz. I spoke to him last year while he was head of investigations at BuzzFeed. According to his team's investigations, this wasn't the only assassination on British soil that officials downplayed. The government of Great Britain consistently looked the other way, closing investigations in as soon as 30 minutes when there was evidence that these were in fact assassinations and not, as they claimed, deaths by natural causes. One of those deaths was Russian oligarch and Putin critic Boris Berezovsky, a close friend of Litvinenko. Police say there's no evidence of anyone else being involved in the so far unexplained death of the exiled Russian oligarch Boris Berezovsky. Yet the coroner decided he couldn't be sure if it was murder or suicide. Then there was Berezovsky's lawyer, who died in a helicopter crash. But his family claim lax security at the airport meant anyone could have got into the hangar and tampered with the helicopter. Then there was the Russian diplomat, who keeled over and died at the London Opera, after showing signs of having been given a big dose of old-school rat bait. And another oligarch, Badri Pataka Shishvili, was found dead at his mansion south of London. It's an unexpected death. Um, and we do treat all unexpected deaths as suspicious in Surrey until we can prove otherwise. It wasn't just rich Russians, though. There was also a Times of London journalist reporting on Litvinenko's death, who died of a brain hemorrhage. And an MI6 spy who was investigating the Russian mafia, who was found dead in a suitcase. Whose naked body was discovered tied up and locked inside a bag. Then there's another four friends of Berezovsky, who died by apparently throwing themselves off buildings or in front of trains, within four years. And there's also... The scientist who helped determine the actual poison that killed Litvinenko, he died shortly after a trip to Russia. All in all, 14 deaths, all but two connected to Litvinenko or Berezovsky, and yet no widespread investigation into Russian assassinations in the UK. As Britain's manufacturing economy declined the country became increasingly dependent upon its vast financial services industry, centred, of course, in the city of London. And where were billions and upon billions of dollars coming from? From Russia. The legal, financial, real estate and PR industries in London were kept very busy by Russian oligarchs. The then London Mayor, now Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, was quite open about his attachment to Russian money. It is those ruble-fueled refreshers and retainers that find their way into the pockets of chefs and waiters and doormen and janitors and nannies and tutors and actors and aromatherapists and keep the wheels of the London economy turning. It's classic trickle-down economics, or trickle-down economica in this case. And who wanted to kill that golden goose? Certainly not the governments which knew that their elections depended upon a thriving economy. They'd had a perfect run of getting away with assassinations on British soil. 
But it all ended in 2018 when two goons were sent to kill a Russian traitor named Sergei Skripal. One of the best parts of any spy movie. An ordinary black leather case with 20 rounds of ammunition here and here. Is the gadgets. A recently developed harmless radioactive device. Harmless. Pens that are actually grenades. It's waterproof, of course. But of course. Phones that are tasers. Handguns activated by fingerprints. Which sends out a homing signal to a special receiver. Transmitters hidden inside fake rocks in Russian parks. The British government uh, was spying in Russia using... Hang on. A transmitting device concealed as a rock. Well, actually, this one is real. Hidden in this fake stone was a high-tech transmitter British spooks used to spy on Russia. Essentially, it was a rock the size of a football with a wireless hotspot in it. It showed this video of a man slowing down and looking at the rock as he passed. The trouble is, the Russians noticed and set up some CCTV cameras. Another man was filmed picking up the rock and collecting the data. The Russians were shocked to see that one of the lurkers was a man they thought was on their side. And if that wasn't bad enough, it was a former HR manager for Russian military intelligence. His name? Sergei Skripal. Because he was the personnel officer, he knew everything about the comings and goings from different stations that the GRU had in embassies around the world. His biographer, Mark Urban, says Sergei Skripal had been paid by the Brits to reveal the true identities of 300 Russian undercover agents over the course of the previous decade. But then the fake rock scheme was discovered and Skripal got caught. Putin was not happy. A traitor to the motherland, you understand? We have such a term, traitor to the motherland. Well, he's one of them. He's just a scumbag. That's it. Skripal was sentenced to 13 years in a Russian jail, and it looked like that was where he was going to stay. But what he didn't know as he languished in that gulag was that a group of incompetent spies on the other side of the world would be his ticket out. Around the time Skripal was arrested, the FBI in the US got wind of a totally unrelated group of shadowy Russian agents. Who secretly blended into American society in order to clandestinely gather information for Russia. Who had been living in the US for up to 25 years under identities stolen from dead toddlers. The 10, uh, they'd been here a long time, but uh, they hadn't done much. One of the spies had taken on an Irish-sounding pseudonym, Richard Murphy, hoping to blend in. But he hadn't bothered to get rid of his strong Russian accent. Also, when the FBI raided his house, they found little pieces of paper all over the place with the passwords to the secret Russian spy network. Then, there was Anna Chapman. A flame-haired femme fatale and undercover party girl. She became extremely famous in Russia. The saucy spy posed for racy magazine spreads. There are Anna Chapman action dolls. But she was a terrible spy. Not only did she hand her laptop to an undercover FBI agent by accident, she then gave him the number to her burner phone. But Joe Biden and Jay Leno thought she was hot, so that's something. And you would know this, Mr. Vice President. Do we have any spies that hot? <laughs> Let me make it clear. It wasn't my idea to send her back. <laughs> when the 10 Russian spies were eventually sent back to Russia, they were exchanged for four people in Russian custody. The spy swap was completed on an airport tarmac in Vienna, Austria. And one of the prisoners coming out of the Russian prison was Sergei Skripal. 
we traded 10 for four. Now, I know our math skills are not as good as they should be, but that doesn't seem fair. Why, why do we trade 10 for four? Well, we, we got back four really good ones. Yeah. Uh, and, uh... America and Britain had traded all those deep cover Russians so Sergei Skripal and three others could live in the West. Skripal moved to the quiet English town of Salisbury. But it wasn't quite the easy retirement he might have hoped for. His wife died of cancer. His son died in a mysterious St Petersburg car crash. And all the while, he was watching the news of suspicious deaths in London. Russian oligarchs. Putin critics. Their lawyers. A journalist looking into it all. A British spy. One after the other. And this is where history starts repeating itself. Because one spring day in 2018, two Russian spies arrived at Gatwick Airport in London. They were flying from Moscow with a mission to kill. Their target was Sergei Skripal, a former colleague and a Russian defector who was working for British intelligence. But your usual classic clean and simple assassination, this was not. Enter Anatoly and Alexander, two Russian spies who dress, well, actually, they dress pretty normally. Unlike the last two, these guys didn't want to end up with radiation poisoning, so they brought something a bit less toxic than polonium. Novichok. One gram is enough to kill a thousand people. Well, that's better than 50 million per gram, I suppose. And they tried pretty hard not to get it everywhere. And traces of Novichok were found in their hotel room. Ah, crap. These two would-be assassins managed to get the Novichok to Salisbury without tipping it down any sinks, though. They sprayed it on Skripal's door, poisoning him. And then they tossed the bottle and hightailed it back to Moscow. From Heathrow Airport, they returned to Moscow. The would-be assassins screwed up, though. They brought a military-grade nerve agent into England, caused a small town to go into lockdown, got their face on dozens of CCTV cameras and killed an innocent woman. Of course, like Litvinenko's assassins had done before them, they appeared on Russian state TV to deny any involvement. We work in the fitness industry. Food supplements for athletes, vitamins, minerals, proteins, gainers and others. They said they were just a couple of regular, straight guys who went on a two-day holiday together to see Salisbury Cathedral and definitely would never take nerve agent into London in a perfume bottle. Well, don't you think that it's kind of stupid for two straight men to be carrying perfume for ladies? And here's the kicker. Skripal didn't die. They failed their mission. But why did Russian military intelligence go to all this effort to kill Skripal in the first place? Russian TV never admitted Putin was behind it, but said if anyone was thinking of following in Skripal's footsteps and betraying their country, they should think twice. I have a warning. Being a traitor is one of the most dangerous professions in the world. News anchor Kirill Klamenov pointed out the funny, weird little coincidence that people who betray Russia keep ending up 
dead. Alcoholism, drug addiction, stress and depression are inevitable professional illnesses of a traitor, resulting in heart attacks and even suicide. The Kremlin said the attempted assassination of Sergei Skripal was actually the British government trying to frame Russia. The question is, was the British government going to cop that? Being blamed for perpetrating a chemical weapons attack on its own people? Were they going to sit on their hands like they did with the other 14 suspected assassinations? All eyes were on this guy. Mere Londoner, Boris Johnson, previous for you of us. I'm Boris Johnson, the Mayor of London. Boris was now the Foreign Secretary. Uh, I'm, I'm certain that I'm the first Foreign Secretary in the history of my office to be called Boris. The Kremlin probably thought that this affable, floppy-haired Boris man, famous for getting stuck on a zipline, was a friend. He had never before spoken harshly about the Russian government. He had relied on Russian money to keep London's economy afloat as mayor and openly encouraged oligarchs to invest in the city. And during the Brexit referendum, they were both on the same side. But the Novichok attack was a step too far for Boris. Our quarrel is with Putin's Kremlin. While Boris had the option of your usual boring diplomatic dressing down, he decided to go much further and blamed Putin personally. And we think it overwhelmingly likely that it was his decision to direct the use of a nerve agent on the streets of of the UK, on the streets of Europe. Boris said this at a time other world leaders were tiptoeing around Russia. And he had a theory about why Putin was doing it. As many non-democratic figures do, it is often attractive to conjure up in the public imagination the notion of an enemy. Putin was two weeks out from an election. That is what I think the, uh, it was a, a, an attempt to excite amongst the, uh, the Russian electorate. And he said the Kremlin's claim that Britain did this to themselves was just the latest in a long line of Russian lies. This is a classic Russian strategy of trying to conceal the needle of truth in a, a, a haystack of lies and obfuscation. And this happened all because two assassins, sorry, uh, gothic architecture-loving supplement salesmen, failed to kill their target. But in a way, they did achieve something that all of the other suspected assassins over the years didn't. They pissed off the British enough to get them to call out the Kremlin. The United Kingdom will now expel 23 Russian diplomats who have been identified as undeclared intelligence officers. They have just one week to leave. 28 allies of the UK, including Australia, followed suit. A total of 122 Russian diplomats were kicked out. This will be the single biggest expulsion for over 30 years, and it reflects the fact that this is not the first time that the Russian state has acted against our country. The world not only punished Russia for what they had done, but made it clear their reign of chaos was coming to an end. 12 years after the assassination of Alexander Litvinenko in London, they're not fooling anybody anymore. See, Putin likes you to think of him as a puppet master, pulling all the strings, a finger in every pie. But actually, he's a gambler. With Brexit, he backed a long shot and got lucky. With Trump, he maybe gave the horse a little something to help it over the line. But with Skripal, he went all in on what he thought was a sure thing and ended up getting scratched. (laughs) 
I'm Matt Bevan, and this is Russia If You're Listening, a podcast about Vladimir Putin's attempts to undermine the Western world. It's produced by Ruby Jones and Will Ockenden. Next, being Vladimir Putin has its perks. And an alien zone at Turbillon at $500,000. That is a Mac Daddy watch that watch is not playing around. But like all dictators, Putin knows a quiet retirement is unlikely. So to stay on top and keep his people happy, he promised a sweet new set of nuclear weapons. That includes an intercontinental ballistic missile that he says renders defence systems, quote, useless. But there was one big problem with that plan. Since that nuclear missile malfunction nearly two weeks ago, radiation detection sites across the country are going silent. The story of Putin's nuclear weapons that weren't. That's next on Russia If You Listen. Subscribe now on ABC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Recommend us to your friends and please leave us a review. It really helps other people find us. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.